Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Hey, it's 12.03. Welcome to Monday, January 10th, 2022, the start of a brand new week, the second working week of the new year. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Value stocks are currently hammering growth stocks in terms of market worth. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the week ahead will include a key reading on inflation, the latest look at retail sales, plus a reading from America's small businesses. We're joined by Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist at Bloomberg, based in New York. Carl, thanks for joining us today. The Consumer Price Index will be released on Wednesday. And what do you expect that to tell us about the state of inflation? Well, it's not going to look pretty at the headline. Uh, figures and good afternoon. Uh, what we're expecting to see is the consumer inflation accelerating further. Uh, last uh, report we saw was about 6.8% inflation growth in the U.S. economy. Uh, as the December numbers come in, we're expecting that to accelerate now above 7%, which would put us at the fastest rate of inflation uh, since uh, basically 1981-82. Uh, and that is an uncomfortable number for uh, policymakers. And that goes back to what Elisa was talking about in her segment uh, just now, uh, where we have a Fed which is uh, forced to respond to economic realities. And that means they're going to act sooner and more aggressively than what markets were pricing in. And the equity market certainly doesn't like that based on the tone of trading today. And what is that? What what when will this crest? You know, we're talking uh, upper sixes, seven percent inflation figures that have not been seen since uh, since 1982. Um, will that begin to crest with the first interest rate hike or sooner? Well, I actually think we're getting to the point where we'll start to see some of that crest. So a notable feature in this upcoming consumer price index uh, is that energy inflation uh, actually won't be adding to the month-on-month increase. So we've seen a, a huge run-up in energy prices, and that absolutely has been contributing to the inflation numbers. But there's some very preliminary signs that maybe that is finally starting to roll over. Uh, last week, we saw a national manufacturing survey where we saw price pressures coming down quite considerably. Uh, we may start to see some evidence of that in the small business survey. So we're we're getting some of the, the faint signals that we could be approaching the high watermark here, but the disruptions related to Omicron are going to only exacerbate all of these supply chain issues uh, that have been so uh, significant in terms of driving the inflation narrative over the last year. So I think until we get past the Omicron wave, we're not going to see much relief then as the market is pricing in a Fed that is going to respond to this inflation. And as the Omicron wave subsides, we should start to see some signs of relief as we get around to the March, April, and May statistics. And then, Carl, very quickly, wholesale inventories rise strongly uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, does that mean we have turned the corner in a way when it, in the supply chain crunch? I fear that that may just be a, a, a reality of activity dropping off of a, a, a cliff as Omicron uh, permeated the economy in the back half of, the, of uh, the month of December. We'll see more evidence of that when we get the retail sales numbers for December uh, coming up this Friday. Thanks a lot, Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist, Bloomberg, based in New York. Coming up, an update on the battle between growth stocks and value stocks. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. 
Since the end of November, value stocks are vastly outperforming growth stocks. Let's discuss the trend and what may lie ahead with Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Whenever there is a little bit of news that is not exactly what the markets are anticipating, I just have this image of that scene in the movie Airplane where all the reporters run into the phone book of the phone booth and it falls over. I feel that's the way for investors as they quickly move to reposition their portfolios to try to uh, react to this news that wasn't quite what they were anticipating. And there seems to be a lot of that happening these days. Well, yeah, that's a great analogy. I haven't thought of that before, but uh, it's it's such an illustration of how uh, Wall Street is always reacting to what has already happened as opposed to what it's supposed to do is we're supposed to be anticipating what's coming down the pike. So it's like trying to drive in a, by looking in the rear view mirror, to use another analogy. So, and it's especially the case when it looks, when we look at the uh, relative performance of value and growth, as we know, growth stocks, which are the ones that are of companies that are growing the fastest and are the investor darlings of Wall Street, they've been uh, really on a tear for a number of years, but uh, people have been uh, expecting for all that time that value stocks, those that are out of favor but are trading for low prices relative to earnings and sales and so forth, that they would come roaring back. And they seem to be doing that at least temporarily, if not more than that, since November. And it's it basically, it's, it's investors want to shift out of the tech sector and into, a, into banking, more or less, because uh, in a higher interest rate environment, it's more profitable to lend money. Yeah, that's one of the rationales, though. It seems like there are many different rationales. I think um, the, 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 the general theme is that some of these tech stocks were getting awfully pricey. They were You were basically anticipating many years of blistering growth, and all it takes is a little bit of a downtick in your expectations of how fast they'll grow, and of course, their prices come roaring back. This is why value stocks are often attractive. These are the stocks that are, as I was mentioning, uh, trading for relatively low ratios of price to earnings, price to sales, price to book value, and so forth. And so they they have some downside protection and are better value for for the future. And when it comes to uh, getting into those value stocks, is it uh, too late to get in while the getting's good, or is it still is the timing still good? Well, that is the $64,000 question. Um, I think I've lost track of the number of times where people said that value has finally turned a corner in its battle against growth. You may recall it was last March, just 10 months ago, that we actually had a period of even stronger growth for value, uh, stronger returns for value over growth. And people said, oh, okay, this is the beginning of a long-term trend in which value would uh, would lead the market. And then, of course, it almost immediately it turned back down again, hit a bottom in November, and here we are again. So I'm afraid it's going to be very hard to predict what the future is like just be- on the basis of what's happened since November. Well, thanks for the insights this afternoon. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Coming up next, a surprising number of people don't know their credit card interest rate. We'll tackle that next. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Many people aren't aware of one key aspect of their credit cards, and that is the interest rate. Let's learn more from Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst at LendingTree based in Austin. Matt, thanks for joining us today. And it's safe to say that is a piece of knowledge that could potentially save you a lot of money. 
Yeah, it's a really big deal, and it's kind of a disturbing number for sure, because if you do have credit card debt, it really is important to understand what that interest rate is so you can know exactly what you're up against, but also so you can take action to potentially change that rate and make things better for yourself. And where on your credit card bill can you find the interest rate? Because uh, in some places, that's on like page four or five of your statement, depending on how much activity you have on a monthly basis. Yeah, generally speaking, it's pretty easy to find on your monthly statement um, on your credit card, or if you just log in to your credit card issuer's website, that should be something that you should be able to easily find. But if you end up struggling with it, you can always just pick up the phone, call your credit card issuer and ask them what your rate is. They'll be happy to help. Average credit card rate is 16.3%, but that could hit 17% by the end of the year. And uh, if you do carry a balance, it probably behooves you to either find a low interest or a no interest credit card. And those things do exist. They exist, and they're really common today. Um, They weren't necessarily in the early days of the pandemic, but they are now. And lots of these cards give you 15 months, 18 months, even 21 months, um, where you do not accrue any interest on that credit card debt. And that's a really big deal. That can save people hundreds of dollars or more depending on how much they owe. So bottom line, if you do have a credit card balance and uh, you want to get out from under those uh, interest rate payments, uh, get that no interest credit card and really pay off that debt in the 21 months uh, given to you. Absolutely. It is a godsend for folks who are struggling with credit card debt. And there's plenty of those types of cards available at sites like LendingTree. And on a percentage basis, I mean, maybe do you just know off the top of your head, you know, how many credit card holders in general uh, are carrying balances right now? Generally, it's a it's a little over half of of card holders carry a balance. It fluctuates a little bit, but generally speaking, it's a little over half of people with active credit cards. Um, will carry a balance on a regular basis. Well, thanks for joining us today. Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst, Lending Tree, based in Austin, Texas. Still ahead, a look at the change in Bears leadership from a noted national NFL analyst. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The Bears have fired General Manager Ryan Pace and Coach Matt Nagy. will get perspective on the move from a leading national expert on the NFL. This is Rachel Pearson. The Chicago Teachers Union says it's making progress in talks with Chicago public schools, but they remain at odds over a few key issues. It's Stock Picker Monday. We'll get a couple of suggestions from an investing pro. WBBM Business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 388 points. The NASDAQ is down 219. And the S&P 500 down 54. AccuWeather says plenty of sunshine today. Breezy and very cold. Today's high 18. Wind chills around zero at times. Right now, we have sunny skies, 16 degrees at O'Hare, and a wind chill of one above. It's 12 31, topping our news at the half hour. Bears chairman George McCaskey set to hold a news conference about a half hour from now to discuss the dismissal of team general manager Ryan Pace and coach 
Matt Nagy, the team struggled to a 6-11 record in what was Pace's seventh season as GM and Nagy's fourth as coach. We'll carry the McCaskey News Conference live starting around 1 o'clock. We'll also discuss the situation with Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk at 12.39. The Chicago Teachers Union still pushing for remote learning while the city is standing its ground for in-person instruction. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said Chicago Public Schools will not relent in its efforts to return students to in-person learning as soon as possible, to which the Chicago Teachers Union responded. The mayor is being relentless, but she's being relentlessly stupid. CTU President Jesse Sharkey joined other union members outside Spry Elementary School with an update on their negotiations. He says they've made progress with CPS offering high-quality face masks to students and staff, but they remain at odds over a few key issues. The question of remote instruction, the question of widespread testing, and the question of a metric that would allow individual schools to flip to remote if there's an outbreak at the school. Both sides say they remain hopeful an agreement will be reached. Rachel Pearson, News Radio, 105.9 WBBM. It's 12:32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in the red today. We're joined by Gary Kultbaum, President Kultbaum Capital Management and Fox News business contributor based in Orlando, Florida. Gary, thanks for joining us uh, once again. When you talk to us at 10:20, uh, you said what we're seeing today, especially in the first uh, six days of the trading year, uh, has been a sign that uh, liquidity is uh, starting to dry up a little bit. And some of the market activity today, or at least the last week, this kind of looks like uh, investors playing musical chairs, trying to uh, get into uh, uh, safer holdings before the music stops. Yeah, when the market uh, gets defensive, it goes defensive. And that means money de-risks out of the most volatile uh, movers in the market, the Teslas and things like that, and finds a home in places like a Procter and Gamble and recently the financials. Why? Because interest rates on the long end went up, interest rates on the short end stay at zero, and the expectation is margin expansion, profit expansion, higher stock prices. So that's what we're getting. Uh, but leave no doubt what we are seeing is about interest rates moving higher, not just going higher, but how quickly they moved higher. And we're now getting a readjustment of risk uh, based on that, unfortunately, based on every word out of the, and every move out of the mouth of Jay Powell. And I just wish they'd all go away. I, I just remember a time where we can bet on the market on earnings and revenue growth and not on one man's whims on how much money he's going to print. Well, there is a great deal of uh, stimuli that uh, the markets are yeah. reacting to. Uh, you do have uh, Fed policy statements. Uh, you also have um, concerns still over how Omicron is going to uh, affect uh, various parts of the supply chain all over the world. And then you also, as we talked about before, uh, there's there's some big questions about uh, growth in 2022. And uh, as you try to digest uh, all of those uh all of those metrics and all of those data points, uh, this is the end result. You have investors very jittery. Uncertainty breeds uncertainty in the market, and uh, you're getting it in droves right now. And you got to remember something. the Arguably, the most powerful man on earth who created inflation did not see inflation, got it wrong on inflation. And that, I think you get a markdown in the market just on credibility also. You combine that with very high valuations. And look, you cannot forget uh, COVID, not just we can talk about whether it's a bad COVID or a good COVID. The fact of the matter is 
It affects the economy. A lot of people are not working. That affects the economy. And the one thing I'm watching closely right now, the retail stocks in the market are getting crushed. And I'm always a big believer that the market has a voice. And I'm asking the question, what's going on with the economy when they're crushing retail stocks? And that's something that has to be watched really, really closely because you have no longer a Fed easing. You have a Fed being forced to tighten monetary policy with probably a slowing down economy. And that's not good news. The next uh, signpost is uh, earnings season. What would that take to kind of calm the uh, jittery markets right now? Um, normally, I would say earnings mean a heck of a lot. I think it takes a backseat right now. When you've dealt with central banks that have printed $30 trillion, kept rates at 0% for a long time, and some uh, areas negative, uh, that really is what's front and center on the market right now with the COVID. Uh, I, I always watch earnings. I'm always looking for the companies that are doubling and tripling their business and earnings over a three or four year period. Those are usually your best stocks. So I will not lose focus on that. But right now, I'm not so sure we're going to get big reactions either way because of it. Now, it sounds like you have a very pessimistic take on where things are right now, which kind of flies in the face of a lot of the the bullish predictions for 2022 by lots of other analysts. Well, I'm just worried valuations are in the trees. And I'm a big believer that this market has been riding on a sea of liquidity uh, that's now being pulled. And uh, we're seeing bubbles popping all over the place over the last year. It started last February uh, with a lot of the short squeeze stocks and and marijuana stocks and 3D stocks. And I just think what you're seeing now is is more of an outcome of all that. So I keep fingers crossed things get better. But every day we're seeing more and more distribution in the market and the big institutions, the, uh, the big money still selling. So. I'm on defense right now. I'm hoping it changes. If it does, I'll be ready. Thanks a lot. Gary Kulpbaum, President Kulpbaum, Capital Management and Fox News business contributor based in Orlando, Florida. Check him out online at GaryK.com. Up next, a national perspective on the firing of the Bears coach and the team's general manager. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Bears have fired general manager Ryan Pace and coach Matt Nagy after the end of the season with a 6-11 record. Let's check in with Mike Florio, founder of ProFootballTalk.com and author of the new book, Playmakers. Mike, thanks for joining us today. How many millions or even billions of dollars are riding on this decision that George McCaskey has to make about hiring a coach and a general manager? Well, you know, that's a great question. You don't think of it that way because the reality is the Bears are going to continue to make millions and billions regardless of who the coach is, regardless of who the GM is, regardless of how many games they win or don't win. Every franchise will say our goal is to win the Super Bowl every single year. That's a horrible way to define success in the NFL. The better way to define it is let's take a look at the balance sheet. And these teams are going to make money even if they try not to. So, There's a disconnect between on-field success and financial success. So maybe the good news for the McCaskies is no matter what happens with this, this coaching search, they're going to be just fine. 
Well, I mean, you've had a, a very long relationship with, with our friends at 670 The Score, so you know that grousing about the Bears is a, a civic religion in Chicago. But for all of the cynicism about the team that may exist among football fans in the Chicago area, it is still a marquee franchise in the NFL. It is still a national brand. And good Bears means they're playing at 3 o'clock on Sunday. They're on Monday night. They're on Thursday. And that's probably really good for the NFL writ large that a big market team is playing on a big stage and generating big market TV numbers. Oh, absolutely. And the one question that ownership needs to ask is what will Ted Phillips' role be in the football operation moving forward? He's been the team president since 1999. They have only three playoff victories during that window. He's the one who's hiring the general managers. He's the one who's hiring the head coaches. And these positions, and most teams have someone like this who is basically in charge of the football operation, not part of ownership, but also not so connected to the football operation that the same kind of accountability applies to that person as it does to the coach and the GM. So at some point, the focus needs to slip to Ted Phillips. Now, maybe it'll happen this year. Maybe it'll be quiet. They won't want to embarrass him. He'll he'll have different duties. He'll shift into a different role, whatever, whatever it may be. But that's the real challenge. And this is the opportunity with a new coach and a new GM. And this is nothing against Ted Phillips, but I just think when you look at 20 plus years with three playoff victories, you have to wonder when you consider the city, the fan base and everything the bears have going for them, why aren't they better than this? And at some point when you have an executive who's basically the, the surrogate for ownership, it's time to get a different executive to serve in that role. And then are the stakes even higher for this uh, coach and general manager search just because the stadium negotiations between, you know, the Soldier Field lease and possibly moving to Arlington Heights, that's playing in the background? Well, there's always more leverage for those kinds of things when the team is good. But the stadium's going to be full regardless of whether they're a perennial playoff team or regardless of whether they're competing with the Lions for the basement of the division as they've been in recent years. And for the most part, I mean, still, they went to the playoffs two out of three years. I mean, the, the cupboard isn't completely bare, but, but, it, but it will be a factor. And it always helps to be better when you're trying to rally support for those kinds of moves. But again, these teams are all going to make a ton of money, especially with legalized gambling spreading. And it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. What matters is that you are indeed playing the game so people can bet on it. Thanks for joining us today. Mike Florio, founder of ProFootballTalk.com and author of the new book, Playmakers. Join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday and still to come, our Monday Stock Picker. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Stock Picker Monday, and helping us out this afternoon is Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thank you for joining us today. And two, your, your two stocks of the week are two names that are pretty much known to everybody. Uh, so let's start with the first one, which is the uh, cornerstone of any tastefully appointed kitchen. Good afternoon, Robin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, that's not just by accident that everyone should know these names because we're looking at more quality names that can weather this storm that's happening right now on Wall Street. And they're punishing the high beta names. And, uh, you know, I think these two names that I'm giving you are going to be able to weather this storm and it will be higher six months to a year from now. I want to caution investors real quick that that th- this is not a one-week quick scalp type name. This is a name that you put in your, your portfolio and then you just 
you know, not even think about it for six months, and then you'll be happy when you look at it again. So first one, Williams-Sonoma, um, it's a stock that, that certainly has, has benefited from the, the stay-at-home um, situation right now, eating at home, um, and also, um, you know, putting money and investing into your home. So, you know, it's got a great online presence. It trades at 11 times PE, which how many stocks right now trade that, that cheap? One and a half times revenue. Stocks down 30% from two months ago. So it's been punished in this marketplace like a lot of stocks, but it's not a high beta risky name. And I, I do believe that when the dust settles, this is a name that's going to bounce back and hit back, go back to all-time highs. It might not be next week. It might not be next month. But this is a name you want to put in your portfolio. Forget about it. Look at it in six months, and you'll be happy. And the next one, uh, th- the next one uh, thanks to uh, uh, persistent and consistent radio advertising, <laughs> I have their jingle burned into my brain because I've been listening to it for almost 20 years. Uh, and that's over. Riley Auto Parts. Yeah, another name investors should know. It's a 23 PE name, so a little bit more expensive. But with that expense, you know, with with how expensive it is, it's because it's growing at at mid 20% and has been doing that for many years. This stock is in the sweet spot of, of what's going on in the economy right now. Everybody's holding on to their cars. They're, they're just investing into their, into their cars to keep them as long as possible. A lot of consumers don't want to buy new, new vehicles right now. They're, they're very expensive. So they're, they're using O'Reilly and, and certainly AutoZone as well to, to uh, continue to keep those cars running. And I think this trend is, is only in the early innings that you're going to see this continue. And the main beneficiary is O'Reilly. And, and even though it trades, at 23 PE, that's still cheap in this marketplace. Uh, when a lot of stocks are 30, 40 PE, the S and P is itself is 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 more expensive than O'Reilly, and it's not growing nearly as fast. So, you know, you want to you want to invest in a stock like this. It's only down five percent from its all-time highs, but that's because. You know, it's a, it's a quality stock, and I'm even surprised it's down that much. And, and I think investors should snap it up before it goes right back to all-time highs and then further after that. I think it's a $1,000 stock uh, a year or two from now. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Michael Palumbo, founder MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. The stocks, once again, Williams-Sonoma, the ticker symbol WSM, and uh, O'Reilly Automotive, O-R-L-Y. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.